Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Rebecca Boston, Chief Marketing Officer at True Botanicals. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? Hi, Priya. I'm great and really excited to be here today. We're so excited to have you. Rebecca, you know, I am so intrigued by your background because, you know, you came from the fashion world and really worked at some really iconic brands. So what turned you on to beauty? That's a great question. I... What I love about being a marketer is that I've always felt this um, actually big responsibility because I think that advertising and marketing has a big impact on society and the values that we hold and the way that we view ourselves and view each other. And so what I always loved about beauty is that I think that it plays a really big role in how women view themselves and their self-confidence and um, how they feel about themselves after putting on their skincare and their makeup in the morning. And so I was always really hopeful I'd be able to get into beauty. That was always my goal. And I started my career in beauty at Bare Minerals because I was an early adopter of kind of clean beauty. And at the time, it was one of the cleanest uh, beauty brands. And um, and the second I started at that job, I was like, this is it. Never going back. I'm doing beauty for the rest of my life. Um, I absolutely love it. What would you say is the biggest differences with working in the fashion space, with working in beauty? Because, you know, I think for myself, what I worked in fashion for a number of years before working in beauty, and it just is moving so much faster. What would you say, um, based on your time, you know, at Levi's and then obviously at Bare Minerals and and Fenty and now True Botanicals? Mm-hmm. I beauty is. I think that beauty moves the fastest. You have a lot, so many launches per year. You have to create so much content to educate your consumers, to engage your consumers in social media. And uh, so I would, I feel like it moves even faster than fashion personally, and it requires a, a lot more um, education is what I would say that you have to, uh, you know, educate your consumers a lot more on the formulas and how it works and how to use it. Whereas fashion is a little bit more straightforward in terms of these are these jeans here are great ways to wear it. <laughs> So, you know, after your experience at Bare Essentials and Bare Minerals, you know, which I know was a a pivotal point in your career, you know, you went on to Google and then obviously the most exciting part, which I think people are going to be loving to hear or people are going to be really excited to hear is your time at Kendo and really launching integrated marketing and social at Fenty. So tell us a little bit about that first platforms, then back to beauty. Tell me what you were thinking. Yeah. So I, um, so I went to Google because I live in the Bay Area and everyone has to take a pass there, right? (laughs) And I remember when I got the call about the opportunity to uh, work on launching Fenty Beauty. And And when I heard about what the brand was going to stand for and what it was going to try to achieve, it was one of those moments where I felt like, oh my gosh, like my entire life and a lot of my life experiences have been preparing me for this role. And this is my destiny. I really felt that way. I grew up as the daughter of NGO workers and we moved every two years across six different countries. I grew, So I grew up being exposed to all different types of beauty. And I experienced what it was like to be too thin in one country and too thick in the next country. And in one country to have people admire my skin and in the next country, have them make fun of my rosy cheeks. 
And, um, and so I'd experienced firsthand and in a really big way, just how much diversity there is in beauty. And I recognize the need for, um, in marketing and in advertising for more people to be able to see themselves. And, um, so I really felt my, like my entire life had prepared me for that role. And it was, and I, and I worked at Fenty Beauty for three years and it was one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. Um, and I think a great example of what I'm talking about in terms of as marketers, we have this responsibility because the images that we put out there and the messages that we put out there really do impact society and the way that we view ourselves and view each other. You know, I would argue that Fenty Beauty totally changed the game, you know, in beauty. I would say both from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, from a social standpoint, and then obviously from a celebrity and influencer standpoint, because now we're seeing, I mean, Billie Eilish just launched a, a fragrance yesterday. I mean, you would be hard pressed to find someone who isn't launching a beauty brand who is in this entertainment space. So, I mean, did you know at the time what you were kind of like, I know you said that it was a make or bake opportunity and it was, it was destiny, but did you realize the power that this brand was going to have? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> um, and that was what was so exciting and such a huge journey. And I can remember um, even the night that we launched and it was 2 a.m. I was in my hotel room and we had just uh, regrammed our first, you know, UGC, the first image of someone who had used Fenty Beauty and posted it. And um, it was a woman that, you know, uh, six years ago, most brands wouldn't regram because she, you know, didn't fit the traditional standard of beauty. And uh, and the response that it elicited and the kind of just like wave of reaction that we got from it across the world that was so positive, that was at this moment where I was like, oh, wow, we're doing something really huge here. And this is going to change the game in the way that I didn't anticipate, you know? And then I think I was, we were really, I was really fortunate that um, the founder of Fenty Beauty, Rihanna, she was really passionate about building a brand that stood for, you know, way beyond just her celebrityhood. And that's what we built together. And um, I think that that's why um, everyone has seen the brand have a lot stronger staying power um, than some of the other celebrity brands that have launched. Absolutely. I mean, I think it really set the standard, I know, in terms of foundation and color matching and, and you know, what you said about an inclusion, because it's not just Rihanna everywhere, where it could be. It could very well could be. And I think people would be could inspired be. By, by that. But um, I love what you said about the UGC, because in some ways, some brands really took that as a, as a tool, how to incorporate UGC and put people, real people into their campaigns. And that was very much what you were doing, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and what we found is that, you know, the more inclusive we are, were and the more diversity we showed, the, the better we did. And so we were kind of Un, undoing all of these beliefs that the beauty industry held that there was only a certain look that could sell makeup, right? And um, so that was, it was really incredible. Incredible to think that that's coming from a celebrity, you know, at that, that, at that point. Um, Rebecca, obviously, you know, you've been at True Botanicals kind of in the heat of the pandemic, um, you know, at the, at the highs and at the lows of it. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, what made you think that this was the next job for you? Because, you know, like you said, Fenty Beauty was a dream job. You had been working in makeup, both at Bare, Essential, Bare Minerals and um, Kendo. And now you're moving over to a skincare brand. Yeah. So 
what happened was over during the time that I, um, I, I've, I have, I'm a mom to three boys and, um, with each additional child, I have just been thinking more and more about the earth that we're leaving behind for them and what's in their future. And so, you know, sustainability and, the impact that our industry is having on Mother Earth started to become more and more important for me. And when um, I met uh, the True Botanicals founder, Hillary Peterson, and learned about the brand, I was blown away. I was like, whoa, there is something. This brand is so special and so unique. It's, it's, the, it's commitment to Mother Earth is completely unrivaled. And it's and Hillary, our founder, was so driven to make it absolutely irresistible for everyone to use a safe and sustainable skincare brand by making products that are clinically proven to be even more efficacious than a lot of the leading products. And I thought they and and what what I and when I looked at the brand, I was like, what it needed in that moment was help presenting itself in a way that would get people to pay attention. And so I was like, there's so much potential here. This brand is so incredible. It just needs to be repackaged in a way that will get everyone to listen to what they have to say. And so since I joined the brand in the last year and a half, that's what I've been doing. We've gone through a packaging refresh and we've kind of changed a little bit how we talk about the brand and it's had a huge impact and we're experiencing exponential growth as a result. So it's so interesting that you say that because I would argue, you know, when Hillary's been on this podcast and I love her and adore her. And I think she's so smart. Um, but you know, when I last had her on the show, I felt like at the time, True Botanicals was like the buzzy, clean brand. They were making moves like having Inez and Vidu shoot their campaign, which was elevated, uh, elevating clean and natural in a way that nobody had before. You know, she had been strong enough to pull out of retail and do justy to see. And so it's interesting, but I, I know what you're saying, that the space has become so much more crowded and um, there's so many more clean brands and there's so many more like green, so much more greenwashing happening there. So I guess from your perspective, like what were your priorities when you came in, you know, April, 2020, there was a lot going on, you know, supply chain, a pandemic, you know, how were you able to like deal with that piece of the business and just like troubleshooting and then also, you know, communicating this greater uh, revamp. Yeah, I would say, um, and I, I agree with you, the brand is all, and that's why I was so excited when the opportunity for the brand came, because I was like, there's so many wonderful things and that, um, our founder had built and now they just needed to take the next step. And I would say that because of how crowded the clean space had become and because there were, uh, there was green is greenwashing happening, um, you know, our first priority is that we started to talk about our third party certifications and our third party proof a lot more. Um, and we continued to invest in clinical trials that prove how efficacious we are. Um, we talked more about our made safe certification. We were one of the first and only beauty brands to be made safe certified. And, you know, the made safe certification doesn't just look at the ingredients that are on your list. They look at how those ingredients are grown, you know, how it impacts the farmers, how it impacts the local community and how then how they're manufactured. And um, so that was one thing. And then the second thing that I did is I looked around at how all the clean beauty brands were presenting themselves and talking about their 
um, offerings. And I realized that there's so many incredible clean beauty brands, um, but a lot of them were, um, there was, it was, there was kind of a sea of sameness happening. Uh, really, um, really like lots of like daisies and butterflies and it was really cute and safe. And I realized that there wasn't a clean beauty brand that made a woman like really feel herself, like really feel, you know, sensual. And, um, and that's ultimately what we all want, right? And when your skin is glowing and dewy, you feel so good about yourself. And so I was like, we need to do a better job showing that a clean beauty brand can do that for you, can make you feel that way, because no one else is talking about that. And so that was some of kind of the branding refresh that we went through. And it's something that was always kind of a part of the brand, but needed to be brought out in a bigger way. And um, that's what we've done most recently with our Olivia Wilde campaign as well. So that's so interesting that you say that, because that's exactly what I thought when I saw those campaign pictures. I mean, Olivia has always been a friend of the brand and a part of the brand, but it was clean with sex appeal. It was clean, like those, it almost reminded me like the, of those um, Kim Kardashian, Kate Moss, Skims images. I was like, this is sexy. This is, this is beautiful. And I don't think that other clean, clean brands are doing that. And I'm just wondering, like, was that a departure, I think, for customers, would you say? Because, you know, people associate clean for whatever, for good or bad, still as this kind of like crunchy, is it going to work category? That's a great question. I would say, obviously this, you know, pushed the boundaries a little bit. So we were a little bit nervous. But also the positioning wasn't coming out of left field for our brand because, you know, like you mentioned, we've done photo shoots in the past with Inez and Venue that had this like, you know, kind of like feeling of sensuality to them. And then over the past year and a half, we've been evolving the brand in this direction. And, and you know, if you fought, look at our Instagram feed, it's gotten a lot more, you know, sensual. We've got glowing skin and, um, you know, oil dripping down, um, you know, beautiful bodies of all shapes and sizes. And so the majority of our customers, I don't think we're very surprised by the campaign because we've been on, they've been on this journey with us for the past, you know, couple years. And, and then in terms of, you know, new customers, people who haven't, weren't aware of our brand yet, all I can say is that so far we're receiving so much positive feedback and our business is on fire. So I think that the world was ready for this. We were tired of, I think a lot of us were tired of clean brands being associated with the granola, crunchy, crunchy, you know, hippie stuff. And we know that it could be much, much more than that. So going off of that, talk to me about, you know, obviously one of the big problems of the pandemic was, you know, stores being closed, people being reticent to try in store when stores reopened. And you guys have been really hell-bent on digital. I'm sure that was a saving grace the last year and a half. And now with the social buzz that you're talking about with Olivia, like that must've been through the roof. What can you tell me? Uh, so we, this year, we actually launched in Nordstrom's for the first time. And we're in a number of doors and continuing to expand the number of doors that we're in. So what I love about the fact that our brand has always been a D2C brand and now we're expanding into Nordstrom is that we have a lot of data on our customers. We, we, we know a lot about what works as a result of being a D2C brand. And um, so we are expanding um, our footprint and 
really excited about our partnership with Nordstrom because now people have a place where they can go and they can feel our products and smell our products um, for people who, you know, who need that before, before they go to purchase. What was it about Nordstrom that really sealed the deal for you? Because I've always heard that, you know, of course, Sephora and Ulta move a ton of volume, but Nordstrom is not too far off. Yeah, I think that Nordstrom is a great partner for a luxury brand like ours. And they do a really good job. You know, we're still building our brand. There's a lot of people who don't know us yet. And so Nordstrom just felt like the right partner to for a luxury brand of our caliber to, you know, reach new audiences. And, and they, they really have been incredible partners. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. So when you think about the D2C customer versus the retail customer, do you find that the retail customer is someone who may be newer to the brand or is experiencing the brand for the first time? Um, whereas your D2C customer is someone who knows you and has been on this journey with you? I, I think that in Nordstrom stores, it is almost entirely new customers who are discovering us for the first time. And that's why this partnership is so important. And, you know, on, our, on D2C, we've got both, right? Uh, we have our, we have a really great retention rate because to try our products is to love them. Um, so we do have a really strong returning customer business, but we're also growing exponentially right now. So we have new customers there as well. You know, during this time period, I feel like beyond clean, beyond skincare, I mean, obviously skincare boomed during the pandemic and many of us are not wearing makeup the way that we used to before. I'm just wondering, you know, what about this rise of the skin intellectual consumer, which I know you guys have talked about and, you know, it's for maybe someone who wants to get a little bit smarter, savvier about their skincare or who already is. So how are you kind of engaging her with the education that you kind of mentioned a second ago? That beauty has to provide. Oh, I, I love that question because honestly, consumers have blown me away by how deep they want to go into understanding their skincare and why the formulas work and how the ingredients are interacting with each other. And that kind of goes back to why I love the, the fact that we're a D2C first brand because we have so much data. So we would, for example, we'll send out emails where we get, you know, we break down you know, ingredients like hyaluronic acid and talk about how we use two different weights of hyaluronic acid and why we use different weight, two different weights and why that's important in your skincare. And the engagement that we get on those emails is even greater than we do on what I think people might traditionally expect, like maybe even a celebrity email sometimes. So we educate through email, we have a blog, through social media. And, you know, I've been working in social media marketing since, um, since the days of Friendster, before everyone was even calling it social media. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that before the thought process was that captions on a post should always be really punchy and short and clever, but we write like essays on our captions about the ingredients and how, what they do for your skin and people love it and they respond to it. So um, I, I've really enjoyed that part of working on True Botanicals because um, our chief, chief product innovation officer is the best in the industry. Hillary Peterson is working with, you know, some of the leading scientists 
in the anti-aging space, in the green chemistry space. So we have a lot to share there. And um, it's awesome that consumers are actually interested in hearing about it. I love what you said about the, the punchiness of Instagram and, and these captions, because I agree with you that, you know, it was all about like, you know, hashtag hair goals or hashtag best skin day ever. You know, I feel like I'm dating myself by saying these things, <laughs> but, you know, is, do you really think the consumer is engaging with that because they, they are more savvy about their products and about their brands? And I guess I'm also wondering, you know, how have you seen social media change? Because now we're in this really crazy moment where Instagram and Facebook has not really been performing for some brands and TikTok is the new darling, you know? And when you think about Friendster, you know, we've seen many, many evolutions of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so yes, consumers have become so much more savvy. And I think that that's why we're seeing the rise of all of these you know, dermatologist influencers. And, um, and I mean, I love them and I love that consumers are paying attention to them and, and paying attention to true experts. Right. And, um, and so that is just kind of one, you know, proof point in how much savvier consumers are getting and how much, um, how much more informed they are before they make a purchase decision. And I think that, Beauty used to be more of an impulse buy, and it's not an impulse buy anymore. Now I'm doing my research. I'm figuring out why this is truly the best, and um, you know, and and so that's definitely what we're seeing. And in terms of social media, we went from Friendster to MySpace to Facebook to Instagram, and now we're on TikTok, right? And will that ever stop? Probably not. It will probably be hot on TikTok for the next few years, and then there might be something else that comes along. And I think that what I love about TikTok is that um, I really am enjoying TikTok because it incorporates sound. And for so long on Facebook and Instagram, it was really just images and copy. And now we can have um, we have we can have sound be a part of that too. And as you know, someone who's been in marketing for a long time, um, you know, I, I I worked when I worked at Levi's. We got to do TV ads, and TV ads were so great because you have visual and you have sound, and those things are much more effective in engaging a consumer. And so now I get them again on TikTok, which is why I personally am so excited about the platform. How do you feel about the younger audience piece? Because, you know, I, I, I would love to hear what, what, how your customer de- demographic has changed during the pandemic. And, you know, if it is these younger um, men and women who are coming to the brand and how do you engage when you are a luxury brand um, and at maybe a higher price point with these teens and tweens? Yeah. So we are, you know, our, our consumer has definitely gotten younger. Um, but she is not a teen because she is concerned about she's gotten her first wrinkle. She's gotten her first, you know, set of dark spots. And so, um, you know, I think at our at our at our price point and at the, you know, efficacy levels of our anti-aging ingredients and how potent they are, it's not necessarily something that a teen might be using, but absolutely you know, women in their 20s who are still struggling with, you know, adult breakouts and um, as well as women in their 30s and 40s. And TikTok 
you know, as an advertising platform, their targeting has gotten a lot better and it's proven to be extremely effective for us. And we're reaching the right audiences. Yes, there's a lot of teenagers on on there, but TikTok is serving up our ads to the right audiences that are responding to it because it's not the, just the teenagers on TikTok. It's also the teenagers' moms. And it's also people like me who, you know, love to get recipes on there and and all of that stuff. You mentioned television a second ago, which I know is coming of having a resurgence with a lot of D2C brands as well as out of home. What are you all thinking about that? I know you've done the out of home blitz before, but you know, this is, you know, almost like two botanicals 2.0 in a way with this new branding and this new look. We launched our first TV campaign in August and it has proven to be a really effective marketing vehicle for us. And so we are right now are on linear TV and, um, and it's been going great. And we're hoping to expand to programmatic TV, um, over the next few months. So yes, it's made a comeback. I couldn't be more excited. Um, because what I love about TV is that the, the grind isn't as intense as on social. On social, you have to pump out five, 10, 20 new pieces of creative every single week. And on TV, you can make one really good spot and have that run for a little longer. Um, so, um, but we're, we're doing both. Would you say that there are other channels that you're looking at, whether it's, you know, audio or, you know, what's happening on Clubhouse or Twitter spaces or, you know, as a marketer, there's so many more things that you have to think about when, and, and prioritize. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Right now, we're really focused on TV. And like I said, the next thing we're expanding to is programmatic. So there's a lot still untapped there for us. Uh, I think that in my experience, beauty is a is a visual category. And I have found that being on platforms that are visual are more effective than, say, you know, radio, for example. Um, uh, not to say that it doesn't work, um, but... Uh, I mean, we're constantly testing new things and, uh, and we, you know, we just started on TikTok as well, and that's been working really well. So I'm excited that we're, we're diversifying kind of where we are putting our media spend away from just everything being on Facebook like it was before. How do you feel about Facebook these days and Instagram? (laughs) I... Facebook and Instagram, they have taken us marketers on quite a ride recently. And it's been really challenging to navigate it. And they, you know, also have a lot of things that they're dealing with um, in consumer perception. And so I think that we're going to see a lot of changes come from them over the next several months and year. I don't think it's going to, um, I'm I'm confident they're not resting on their laurels and they know that some changes need to be made, both, you know, in in the impact they're having on society and also in, in how they are serving the needs of the advertisers on their platform. So I hope that those changes are coming because it's been a, it's been a rough ride in 2021, honestly. (laughs) Have you guys, you know, I I imagine this is the case, you know, obviously you're moving into new channels. So you're diversifying away. Is that fair to say from Facebook and Instagram as you have been past? Well, our brand is um, experiencing a lot of growth right now. And so 
it's not that we're divesting from the platform right now. It's that we're expanding our uh, marketing, uh, our, our entire, all of our marketing efforts. And so as we grow, we're expanding to other platforms rather than growing our investment on Facebook and Instagram. You know, since I have you, uh, Rebecca, I have to ask, you know, what is, I think it's interesting because, you know, when I, I had somebody on from the Amore Pacific group a while ago, and he was talking about when he first started in marketing, you know, it was like store marketing, like going into the store, what the gondola looked like, what, you know, you were telling store associates, and that was the extent of it. I mean, today it's so much more complicated. And I'm wondering, like, how do you juggle, you know, brand awareness, the general gist of wanting your brand to be out in the world with performance, because that's so much a part of the job, too. That is one of the most challenging parts of my job. I will, I will just say that is trying to strike that balance is, is really hard. And I think that for every brand, it's also different, right? And, um, and, you know, probably the most successful brands and the most successful CMOs in the world are the ones that are striking that balance perfectly because it is a balance. And I think that what has changed so much for, you know, CMOs and leaders in marketing like myself is that, you know, years ago, we didn't have the analytics that we have today. And now we have to be much more, much deeper in the analytics than we ever were before. And we have them because of digital, right? And we have to just be constantly looking at the analytics and using those to inform that balance and, you know, watching what happens to your brand when you have a major kind of brand PR moment, because they do all work together. Right. Do you feel that, you know, gut has kind of gone out the window? Because, I mean, you probably have feelings about whether something is going to work or not. And that's totally different than what the performance side of the business may say. I think that gut is still just as important as ever. So we just did something really incredible with our sustainability is sexy campaign with Olivia Wilde. And there wasn't any data that told us to do that. That was our gut. And we, you know, I truly believe that that marked a really important moment in the, you know, clean and sustainable, like, consumer movement. And that came from gut. And then we got to follow it with great ads that are informed by performance marketing. And so it all works together. And it's, I've heard people imply that CMOs now have to be all about analytics and they don't need to be creative anymore. And I don't agree. I think they, I think that now we just have to find the unicorns who can do both and it's challenging. Um, but that is what kind of the role demands today. Tell me a little bit about what's coming up next. I know, obviously you just said we did this great campaign and I'm like, no, tell me what's next, Rebecca, what's going on in the product pipeline? What's going on (laughs) in the campaigns? You know, I'm sure you've just caught your breath from that. So, or can you tell us about 20, the rest of 2021 and then your plans for 2022 with the brand? Yeah. So we have a lot of really exciting plans. You know, what we've learned um, on True Botanicals is that once someone uses one of our products, they add more and more, and they just want their entire skincare routine to be True Botanicals. They love how their skin looks when it's not being disrupted by anything toxic or um, anything else. And so we're filling in gaps in our assortment so that we can fill that need. That's what everyone's asking for. And so we are going to be launching products so that if someone wants from 
step A all the way to step Z to be true botanicals. We've got a product for them um, in some kind of really important categories that's coming next year. I can't say any more than that, but stay tuned. And uh, we also, um, we will be over the next few months announcing a few more celebrity partners that we're really excited about, you know, because our brand is just so special and unique, you know, some of the most discerning and influential women in the world love our brand. And so we're really excited about bringing on some new folks who will help us kind of reach new audiences and new age groups. Um, and so more to come there. <laughs> Last question for you, Rebecca. You know, you've been, oh, you just mentioned celebrity. You mentioned how much influence they have. Obviously, Olivia is one of the people that you've worked with closely, as well as Rihanna. What is your take on this larger impact of celebrity on beauty and influencers on beauty? I mean, you know, they used to just be models and and not just, but they were models and they were faces of the brand, but they didn't have to hold the ethos of a brand. So how are you kind of being able to discern that? You know, if someone really is right for True Botanicals or any any brand out there. Yeah. So I think, you know, we talked earlier about how consumers are becoming so much more savvy about ingredients and all that. They're also becoming a lot more savvy about authenticity and whether a brand really stands for what it stands for. And so the connection between a brand and the digital influencers or the celebrity influencers that they partner with, they're only successful if that connection is truly authentic. And um, and that's why, you know, all of our influencer and celebrity partnerships on our brand, they actually all started with the celebrity approaching us first. So, you know, it's we and we wait for that. We wait for the celebrities who slip into our DMs and tell us how much they love our Renew Pure Radiance oil and ask us to send them a, a package. And we wait and see who really, really loves us and who also in the way that they're living their life and the other things that they're standing for, you know, believes has the values that we have around sustainability and safety. And, uh, and so, and, and that's why all of our partnerships have been so successful because they're that authentic. And, you know, but that's been true on every single brand I've ever worked on, that influencers and celebrities can be so powerful if and only if that connection is authentic, because consumers can see through it if it's not nowadays. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was so great having you. And we're so excited to see what else is in store for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. See you next week.